I've made the point on this show a hundred times that if an artist doesn't need a label per se to have a successful career, they definitely need a team. Today, we talk to some companies who are helping artists put together a team, as well as a plan to help them move forward and reach their goals. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk about making a plan and creating a team to help artists have success. It's all coming up on the future of what. Support for the future of what comes from SoundExchange, which provides royalty solutions and advocacy to ensure all music creators are paid what they are owed. You're listening to the future of what? I'm talking to Chelsea Cressman of AGD Entertainment. Chelsea, welcome to the future of what? Thanks for having me, Portia. Glad to have you. So today, I thought we would talk about tools for developing artists, you know, stuff that's out there for artists who don't necessarily go the traditional label route. And I feel like it's been the mantra for the last five years. People have been like, artists don't need a label anymore. And like, just keep saying on the show over and over again, ad, nause- ad nauseum, you know, okay, fine. Maybe a, an artist doesn't need a label, but they sure as heck need a team. 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd be a good person to talk to about this. Do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about what AGD Entertainment does? Yeah, totally. So AGD Entertainment has been around for about five years, and we focus on artist development and day-to-day management, and we do that through our program called Zero to 60. So kind of in a nutshell, what that is, is we help artists put out their next project from start to finish, covering operations, branding, marketing, performance, and publicity, making sure that in the six to nine months of rolling out whatever their next project is, whether it's a handful of singles or a full-length record, anything in between, that nothing's getting skipped along the way and everything's getting covered. So yeah, that's kind of the little nuts and bolts of what we do. So to your question about, you know, I have heard from a lot of artists as well that, you know, well, either I don't need a label or I don't want a label. There's kind of this big, you know, X up about labels, which is kind of funny. But I do think that every artist needs a team at some point. And that now I think today looks very different for every artist. And that's a good thing. But there definitely comes a point where the artist just can't do everything by themselves. And maybe they can for a little bit in the beginning while they're getting started. But to be really efficient and really effective, building that team is super important. So, you know, one of the things that I tell my artists all the time is that could be anything from, you know, have you thought about getting an intern or hiring an assistant? You know, that doesn't mean to jump from total DIY, doing everything by yourselves to getting that manager agent label whole nine yards of a full team. There's a lot of steps in between that. I think building the team is really important, but being able to do that in whatever order the artist is looking to back their goals into, you know, if their goal is to tour the world, then, you know, what are they doing right now that's going to make them look really great in front of a booking agent down the line? If that's not their goal, then, you know, maybe there's some other focuses or things that they can do and work on to build other team members. So is that kind of how you guys start when you work with a new artist? You just sit down and do some goal setting and talking about goals? Yeah, we actually have a whole portion of our campaigns with artists that we call Discovery. And it usually lasts about two to four weeks, depending on how quickly the artist kind of gets through it. But we go through with every artist. And I think regardless of working with us, every artist should do this, where we kind of list out like eight pages of really in-depth questions of who are you? What is your art? What is your narrative? What's your message? And then where do you want to go with that? Backing into all of those goals and ideas, then we put some timelines to that. How quickly do you want to get all this done? So for a lot of artists, I think most artists really do know they need to focus on publicity. They need to be performing. They need to have a marketing strategy. And it gets so overwhelming and they just don't really know where to start. So that's when a lot of things get skipped. So I think really honing in and and starting with some sort of discovery, even if they do some of it on their own, 
you know, before meeting up with us of just knowing where do you want to go with your art? What's the story you're trying to tell? I think makes those steps of whether it's putting out this project or building the team makes it a little bit more clear of what direction that they're trying to go down so that they're not just trying to copy and paste what somebody else is doing. Right. So once someone has set their goals and, and done the planning stage, do you guys help them with, you know, the publicity, the marketing, et cetera, in-house, or do you help them find people outside to work with? So a little bit of both, actually. For each campaign, we cover about 350 tasks that fall into those five different categories, but they're all very foundational and basic tasks that every artist. So no matter if you're, you know, a singer songwriter in college or you're Beyonce, everybody needs a press release. Everybody needs a live performance plan. Everybody needs social media. So for us in working with artists, it's let's make sure these things are getting covered and there's no steps that are skipped along the way. But if the budget is there and the goals are there and it makes sense, you know, we're not a publicist. So we're not going to, we don't have relationships with Rolling Stone on purpose. We are developers and, you know, day-to-day managers. So some of our artists do have managers and publicists and marketing teams that they have the budget for and great relationships and it makes sense for the campaign. And then some of our artists only work with us and that's great too. So teaching artists too along the way that you also don't have to wait for a publicist in order to get press. Like the things that we do specifically on the publicity side, for example, would be, you know, whether it's the artist or us working on that, we can research some cool blogs and we can look up some great podcasts and send some blind emails and see what happens. You know, we can do that. The artist can do that till they get to the level of where they have the budget and the reputation and the project. But they're like, great. Now I want to hire that publicist because man, we're going to go after Rolling Stone for this next record. and It's going to be great. So do you guys charge a flat fee for this or do you tailor it to each project? We have a couple of different levels. So at the base service, every single one of our artists has to work with a day-to-day manager or artist coach. They can't do it by themselves. There's no online tutorial. They actually have a human being on their team, <laughs> which I think is pretty valuable. So at our base service for $250 a month, we're kind of the artist coach. So we meet every other week and we strategize and brainstorm and troubleshoot and help those big picture ideas move forward. And then from there, we would assign the artist the next set of tasks to complete. You can always go up from there. And, you know, some artists have us pick up and handle their marketing and their branding. And then the artist takes care of the other sections and we can kind of divide and conquer that way. And then some of our artists are on for full service where we're handling everything and their their time is spent creating and performing and, and working in the studio. So a little bit of everything. I think this is really exciting. And and one of the biggest reasons I think it's super exciting is that, you know, I've been sort of preaching into the wind for years now about this is a real job. Like this is a job. And not only is it a real job, but it involves a lot of expertise. And, you know, you mentioned you guys aren't publicists. You don't have the relationships with Rolling Stone on purpose. And I want to point that out because that's, you know, it's like a person who's a publicist has expertise in the field. A person who's a digital marketer has expertise in the field. Like all of these things are legit jobs. And I feel like sometimes in this industry, it gets really frustrating because people are like, oh, artists can just do it all themselves. Like they just, you know, they can just have a social media campaign and then boom, they're there. And I'm like, but no, <laughs> there's so much work. I mean, for you to yeah. say there's 350 points that you go go over, mm-hmm. I mean, that just makes me feel so happy because I want people <laughs> to understand. There's 350 things you have to do, guys. It's not just, you know, show up, write one good song, and then you're a YouTube sensation. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice if that's just how it works for everybody? <laughs> exactly. I mean, my nine-year-old thinks that that's how you get famous. Like, he thinks... <laughs> Maybe maybe they can keep thinking that for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of like Santa Claus. I'm just going to be like, uh-huh, that's fine. <laughs> you just think that. Yep, nod and smile. smile. Nod and smile. Walk away. <laughs> so are you finding the lot of, that the majority of the bands who, that approach you are like really baby bands starting out who just really need a lot of direction? Or are you also getting some bands that are like later in their career or further down the road? Like, are you getting it all over? Like, what are your percentages like? Yeah, we're getting a little bit of both. The company started because Nathan Dose and Tim Dose, they're two brothers, they were in a band for years and years before starting the company. And they kind of put together what they felt like was really great development that they had as a band and what they felt like was maybe lacking that they could use some help with. So I think the initial, you know, the initial 
standpoint for bringing this all together was for the developing artists, the up and coming, the artists that are working on, you know, their very first project. But since the company's grown, we've kept it a very purposeful policy that we're open door. So we work with any artist, any level, any genre, and we'll work with artists that have any level of team too. So independent artists can hire us to help them, you know, kind of get through their record release and be that day-to-day person. But then we also, like I said, have some artists that have managers and agents and labels. And and we come in as that communicator and that day-to-day coordinator, being able to drive that forward. So I think it's probably about split down the middle 50-50 with artists that are very green and brand new and just starting out on their very first EP up to, you know, artists that are putting out maybe their third or fourth record and have started building some of those team players. So yeah, I think it's about 50-50. That's awesome. was Brother by Cindy Wilson. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Chelsea Cressman of AGD Entertainment. I just want to ask you this question because I, you know, it's a question that I'm actually really interested in and I love it that you guys are, are positioning yourselves to answer some of these questions for artists. What do you do when an artist comes to you and they say, well, I don't have a genre, I'm unique. Nobody's ever sounded like me before. How do you help them to sort of make a plan and fit themselves into the fabric of the music industry? Just because I feel like a lot of artists, you know, when you start to ask them to make a plan and to figure out how they see themselves fitting in, they really resist it a lot in the beginning. 
Yeah, and there's definitely a handful of our artists that come and work with us, and they're smack dab in the middle of a lane, and they're going down that lane, and they know exactly what they're going to do. And I'm actually working with an artist right now. They're putting out their second project, and they're kind of like, well, we're kind of funk, but kind of soul, but some beats and some acoustic guitars. Like, I don't really know what we are. So through the whole process, you know, it's the same the same name of task that we have for every other artist. Great. Even if you don't know that you're smack dab in the middle pop, okay, we're not going to Google, you know, pop music blogs or, you know, look into some trends on like pop Spotify playlists and things like that. But what are some other things that tell their narrative? So for every single artist, it's not just their music. It's what are the things around you in your life? What do you believe in? What things are important to you that kind of back into and make you a unique artist? In today's day and age with digital music and the ways in which people are discovering new stuff, I think that there's an unlimited amount of places that an artist can get attention and can get other people excited about their music. So if it's something that's really different and really out there, I still think that there are blogs that want to interview them and there are podcasts that you know could be a really good fit and there's some really really great visual content that can still be created it doesn't maybe it's probably not going to look the same as your traditional country music video with the guy and the girl and they fall in love and the sunset and it's happy ending it's probably going to look a little bit more metaphorical and unique and deep but I think that I believe that there's an audience for everything. It's just when an artist is very unique and kind of spearheading a little bit of something different, sometimes it takes a little bit more digging, a little bit more of getting into what are their goals and where they want to go and then really finding what are those places that could be a really good fit for this. And maybe it's not all music outlets and music, you know, people that they follow. Maybe it's, you know, do they like to travel? Do they like to cook? Are there other things in their life that they're, advocates for and there's ways to tell that story and to really kind of bring that forward so yeah I think that it gives an opportunity when an artist is either multi-genre or kind of feels like they don't know where to fit to I think really dive in and figure out what that story is yeah and you the word story I think is very important because really that's how everything works in this business you know people get excited about things when they have a story when they have a good story Mm -hmm. and I mean the press obviously is one way that gets out there but social media as well, and just sort of in general. Like, I can think of all the bands that I remember really catching people's interest. They had an elevator pitch, you know what I mean? They had, like, a short, Mm -hmm. you know, like the White Stripes. Like, they wear red and white, and are they married or are they brother and sister? Awesome, (laughs) right? Right there, you're just, like, instantly fascinated and captivated. Yeah, and I tell my artists that all the time, too. I'm like, what's going to make you different than every single other artist that is shouting from the rooftops, I've got a new single out. You got to listen to it. It's like, that's actually kind of boring. (laughs) You know, you guys were mentioning before too, that there's 40,000 songs a day going up on Spotify. The fact that you are another one of those artists releasing a song is really not that interesting. What's interesting is that story and that narrative. And that's what makes, you know, people want to go listen to that song because they feel connected in some way, especially nowadays where there's massive amounts of information. All of us want to feel connected. Absolutely. And the other important word, you used the word story, which is an important word, and you used the word plan, which is an important word. Maybe I did, did, but we both agree (laughs) plan is an important thing. I say this to artists all the time. It's like releasing your single or your album, you get real excited leading up to it. And then the day you release it, right? And then 40,000 other songs come out that day. And the next day, it's just gone. It's like dropping a rock in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So the question has to be, what do you Mm -hmm. do next? Like, what's your plan? Where are you going? Okay, today we're going to release the single, but tomorrow we're going to do what? Exactly. Yep. Yep. You know, you need to know where you're going next. And it has to be all part of a long-term strategy and vision. And I think that can be really daunting, especially for artists who are just starting out. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people... I had a guest on my show once who said, playing music is just really fun. Like, it's really fun. It's just being in a band is really fun. You know, playing with your friends is really fun. And because it feels good, you know, you want to keep doing it. But I think some people don't truly get what this job entails. It's a job they think they want until they actually find out all the things you have to do to to succeed at this job. And that's where I think there's a balance. Like I think every artist, I've talked to a lot of musicians and even just some of my songwriting friends, it's really important to back into and have one year, two year, five year goals, just like every other human on the planet has goals of, you know, where they want their life to go and what they want their career to be. 
And then sometimes you look at that five-year goal and it, it seems so daunting and so overwhelming that you don't even know where to start right now, you know? So being able to take those things and back that into what is the release that you're going to put out right now? And what are just the baby steps of every little thing that needs to get done each week in order to make this exciting and to really ramp that up and to be pivoting the artist towards that bigger goal the whole time, you know, setting their compass on whatever that is, you know, and, and really, really knowing the time and energy and finances and the team that it takes to get there. And that goal can adjust along the way. And that's totally great. But I think having a balance of, some long-term bigger goals, but then not letting that bog an artist down and really being able to to move forward with some little baby steps of that today is, is really important. So you guys basically act as day-to-day managers for artists. How do you help them when they get to the stage where they need to put a team together? So in the section of all of our campaigns under operations, that kind of divides out into how are they running their business and then who are they building on the team? So kind of based off all those goals that we talked about in the beginning with each artist for start the start of their campaign, we really look at, okay, your goals are to find a manager and a publicist, you know, throughout this campaign and get some conversations going. So we teach the artists how to do some really purposeful research on that. So not just getting info at redlightmanagement.com, you know, right. really finding, finding some human beings who work at these companies. And making some really purposeful touch points and reasons of why they should get together throughout the campaign. So, you know, whether we're doing that service for the artist and we're pitching and sending those emails on their behalf or we're teaching the artist to do that. It's like, okay, take a manager, for example. You know, they come up with their list of managers. Maybe there's a few, you know, higher profiles, some middle tier, maybe some just starting out young managers. So then we'll go through the campaign and, you know, there's a very special moment when the album or the record or the project gets announced. We call that the first look. So profile photos flip, banners flip, there's a new teaser reel, everything's exciting, we've announced the record. Well, we have, you know, email should go out to some of these managers and say, hey, I just announced a record, super excited about it, I love the work that you do, and I just wanted to share this with you. Period. No pitch, just like I'm planting the seed kind of a thing. And then we have another touch point as we go through the campaign. And, you know, there's probably going to be some sort of either an album release show or some celebratory party when the project comes out. And that's, as we know, like just a great opportunity to invite not just your friends and your family as they should get an invite, but then also some new people in the industry that it gives a good chance for you to meet them and for them to kind of see what you look like and, and how you bring these songs to life. And then we have a third touch point where once the whole campaign is over, you can look back on it and say, wow, social numbers have gone from this to that. And wow, our Spotify went from this to that. And man, these videos and like all this, all this art went really, really well. You can use all of those kind of categories and touch points to then hit up some of these managers again and say, hey, I'd love to take you out for coffee. I just finished releasing my record. I'm really excited and starting to think about what I want to do for my next project. And I'd love to pick your brain and get some advice on maybe, you know, some directions on where I should go and, and, you know, buy you coffee or buy you lunch. That becomes so much more of a warm, inviting welcome than, do you have room on your roster? Because <laughs> you know? every time that question gets asked, it's like, no, there's no such thing as room on your roster. <laughs> like when there's a relationship and there's a spark and there's talent and there's management, right place, right time, things happen and, it, and it, you know, they will make room on their roster for something that they don't want to pass up. But I think the first point is how do you build that relationship so that there are people in the industry that you as the artist are top of mind for that maybe it's not the right fit right now, but because you have a plan and you're showing that initiative, it's kind of like, instead of saying, I need a manager, it's like, I don't need a manager because I just did all this awesome stuff myself, but I'd really like a manager because it'd be great, you know? So that's kind of the the approach that I take is you don't really need anybody to put out a great record. You want to build that team so that you don't have to always be doing this yourself. And, you know, the best way to do that is just building relationships and asking people how they got to where they are and, and kind of becoming that person that they're like, great, we're going to, we're going to keep an eye on this, you know, this young artist. So that's been a cool thing to see. Some of my artists have done really well in building that team and starting with relationships and touch points and coffee. And then it just, it organically grows from there. Right. And as you said, I mean, this is an industry of relationships. So that's incredibly important to have artists understand at the beginning of their career that it really makes a difference. Contrary to popular belief, you can't just act like a jerk. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and, and yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> some, I mean, some people, I think they think that, you know, the whole sex, drugs and rock and roll, like bad behavior thing. But the truth is, it's a lot of relationships and a lot of relationships that endure for years. So it's definitely worth making those relationships early. Yeah. And not just artist to artist and business to business. So I see, I think artists do a really, really, really good job of creating great relationships with other creatives and artists, which is awesome. And they need to do that for building the band, finding their studio team and all that stuff. But it's just as important for me on the management side to be networking with other artists as it is for other artists to be networking with other people on the business side. So I think bridging that gap and not saying, well, you're an artist and you're on the business, therefore we need to be separated. It's like, no, no, let's bring that together even more because those are the relationships, you know, that need to be created in order for both sides to move up. You know, like we can't continue doing what we do unless there's artists putting out great art and artists can't keep doing what they do unless, you know, they've got some help along the way. So I think that there's a balance too of, you know, making that divide a little bit less large mm-hmm. <laughs> from artist to industry and kind of bridging that gap a little. Absolutely. Well, Chelsea Cressman of AGD Entertainment, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Portia. This was fun.
That was Come Back Shelley by Filthy Friends. You're listening to The Future of What? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Cameo Carlson of M-Theory. Cameo, welcome to The Future of What? Thank you, Portia. I'm so happy to see you right across the desk from me. I know, I am me. too. I'm so happy that you're in Nashville. I'm so happy to be here. This place rules. It does. It's been three weeks. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you're here three years. Like, know. you know, then you'll be... Then you'll be an old hat at that point. Oh, I'll be able to be like, oh, those people again. Those people, yes. <laughs> I exactly. those Go people home. all the Go time. Go back to your own city. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I'm having you on the show today because our topic is tools for developing artists. Okay. And I wanted you to tell us first a little bit about what M-Theory is and yeah. what you guys do. Yep. And then we can get into like how you help young artists. Yeah. So we're a management services company. If you go on our website, you will find out exactly nothing about us um, <laughs> because management services looks different for every single client that we work on. But basically, we are teams for hire, I think, for managers. They get into these places where they're sort of helming 10 different businesses for an artist, and they either have to grow a team really quickly when an artist gets to a certain point or they need help. They need resources of some kind. And so we kind of step in. We do a lot of tour marketing and DSP marketing and international sort of thinking through what a marketing plan can look like for international. And that's that's a lot of the kind of inbound that we get is that those are the needs. And then we just fill gaps. We're, we're marketing people at our core. Interesting. Yeah. So you don't work necessarily with m- many developing artists, young we artists? Do, we do because what happens is the reason that the managers, they get to a place with a specific artist that's blowing up usually and they need resources. But what they really need is they need that same level of help on their developing acts. They just don't have the same resources. And so the way we operate is because we work for the manager, we work across their roster and we will oh, put wow. the same amount of resources into their big acts that we do into the developing acts so that it makes Makes sense for us because we're offsetting with revenue from a bigger artist to be able to put resources towards a developing artist where there aren't as many resources, partners, all of those kinds of things. That's kind of an awesome service then, yeah. you know, for the manager as a whole, if their whole roster is getting taken care of. Yeah. But it must mean that you guys have a cap on how many managers you can work with. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we don't really, we can't, we don't have a, a way of kind of doing it half-assed. I mean, right. we, we have to go all in. We go really, really deep. We just don't go as wide on the number of people that we're working on. And obviously, there's a limit. I mean, if somebody came in and they had one artist that was generating revenue and they had eight baby artists, we probably would freak out and say, I don't know if this is the right partnership for us. Right. But for the most part, it's, it tends to work out where, you know, they're not in cycle at the same time. And a lot of the development process for us is really teaching mm-hmm. the kinds of things. Because I think we like to think of ourselves as smart marketing and thinking about what the future of the business looks like. And that is not necessarily hiring 57 different third-party companies to come in and do all the things. We're trying to also help managers teach their artists what the current business looks like, for better or for worse, the realities of it, and and kind of the tools that they need, too. Right. So I talk all the time on the show about how this buzzword of the last five years has basically been, you know, artists don't need a label. Like, oh, artists don't need a label anymore because there's YouTube or something. I don't know what the end of that sentence really is. Right. But what I always say is, well, that's great. Fine. They don't necessarily need a label. But what they really need is a team. Yes. That yeah, is critical. They, they may not need that construct, right? Sure. But they absolutely need a team of people to do this. You, There are very few... Actually, there are no artists that can do this on their own. No. They may get lucky, right? Because there's this combination of sort of time, talent, and luck that happens if you're successful in the industry. And usually, if it's off to the races and somebody on their own is making that happen, it's because all three of those may be fired at the right time, right? They put a song up somewhere on their own, and it got caught, and it went on right. fire. That's right. usually where they're thinking, oh, I don't need anybody else. But... They do. They need all of that. And and even if it's going from one level to the next or moving on, you have to have a team. It takes a team to do all of the things that you have to do as an artist. There are 10 different revenue streams that you have to manage or businesses and all of those At things. At least. And yeah. Yeah. And you're, you can't be an expert on all of them and you need, right. you need help. Exactly. Absolutely. Whatever that looks like. Or if you have some negative construct of what a label is, that's fine. But right. there's some level of teamwork that has to happen to make you move on to the next level and be successful. Exactly. And even if you're talking about that artist, they put up a song and it exploded. Then what? Then what? Yeah. What's the next step? And they don't know. No. I mean, we just talked to Chelsea Cressman from AGD Entertainment. Yep. And they I have... I love them. Yes. 350 steps. Yep. 
And I love that. I was like, thank you for saying that out loud because artists need to hear this. They need to know this is not just, I mean, I don't know where anyone gets the idea that this is easy. It's not easy. It's not. It's not. I wish it was just about talent, right? That just oh, sure. somebody has this like incredible talent that they either innately have or that they've developed and that's all it takes. But right. no, it ta- and they're right. Those 350 steps, that is no joke. Totally. I, I want them to come talk to all of our artists too and make them go through <laughs> all of this stuff. <laughs> Time, talent, and luck. I'm so happy that you said that. That makes me just overjoyed because my husband always used to say it was perseverance, talent, and luck. Or ah. he would just say it's talent, it's luck, and it's sticking around. Yeah. But yeah, that really is yeah. a lot of the time. You it know. is. It is because the the talent is only one piece of it. And those exactly. of us that work in the industry that are really fortunate, every single one of us who has been around more than five years can list three bands, three albums, three whatever that never saw the light of day that is probably the best thing you've ever yep. heard in your yep. life, right? So yep. it's not just about the talent. And we all, even consumers, like we all joke about the things that are really successful that we think are crap. Absolutely. Because right? it is this combination of things. And it really is. It, it To me, and I love it, perseverance or timing and the talent. And then it, it is luck. It Absolutely is luck. luck. Sometimes great things catch fire and sometimes they don't. When we were managing, when I was a manager myself, yep. we had a band that was probably the best straight rock and roll band I have ever heard in my life. And the, the lead singer was so handsome and he sounded like David Bowie. I mean, they had every single wow. thing going for them. And it wasn't the right time yep. because rock music was out yep. that year. You know, and, and it's so just, it doesn't matter. And There's so it doesn't nothing matter. you can do about There's that. There's literally nothing we can yeah. do about it. Yeah. It and, just wasn't. and artists don't understand that either. Like that's nope. really hard. Like that's a conversation where you're sitting down and going, okay, so you should have been born 10 years later. You right, know, I mean, right. what are you going to do? And that's so sad because you want people to follow their bliss and, and you know, yes. be their true selves and all that. But the other the other question is like, well, if you want to do this as a job, sometimes you, you may have to think like, well, what's selling right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you put commerce around your art, you have to be thoughtful of that. And and yes, are there bands every once in a while, probably once or twice in a generation that get away with that not being the case because the universe kind of comes together in a magic way and they don't have to think about the commerce piece of it in the same way? Right. Yes. Although I would be willing to bet that all of those artists that anybody would name as pure artists that don't have to think about that, they totally think about it. That's just not their brand. They don't say that. They don't say that. if you really think Radiohead has never thought about what they're you selling, are you are totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They do think about these things. It's so funny. I was totally thinking of Radiohead, they, too. Uh, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> That's the one that everybody's like, well, Radiohead didn't have to do social media. And it's like, Please. let me tell you, if they yes. came out right now, they are savvy. They would think about it. It might be different than what everybody else did, but they would be using these tools. Like, that's what you have to do. And not only that, but, you know, I always use this example because it makes me so mad at, to this day. It was 2007. I think I'll name names. It was Franz Nicolay yep. from The Hold Steady. Yep. He said at a Future Music Coalition meeting, he said, I don't care if people steal our music, because this was when piracy was the big thing, yep. because I never got into this in order to make money in the first place, right? And I was like, I bet your record label does not feel the same. Yep. And would be horrified yep. to hear you say that. Yeah. Because it's just, like we said, it, you have to build a team, but there's people invested. People invest their money, their love, their time, their expertise yep. into bands. I mean, we all get into this industry because we love music yep. and we want to help artists. But we don't want, you know, it's like if I invest $50,000 of my money as Kill Rock Stars into an artist and then they go out and sit and hand it out on the street and say... I never intended to make money. I'm like, we may have not had a really clear <laughs> communication when we started this. Yeah, so why why be on a label at that exactly. point, right? Why I mean, I think, label? you know, for me, everything always comes back to conversations with artists around goals. I'm really fixated on that, and it's a big thing for me. And I, I think there probably are times that The Hold Study or any other band could and should give away the music, but it's with a strategic thought, right? It's about reaching a certain goal that, by the way, all of those invested partners are also on board with, right? Because you could get a label to be on board with giving music away if there's a reason that you're doing it and there's a strategy to it, right? Absolutely. Because ultimately, the hope is that it pays off for everyone and that the investment works and that you just have tapped into, because it's all about connecting with your fans, you've tapped into a way to connect with your fans that makes a bigger pool for everyone, everybody wins, right? It's not even about how you monetize, it's really about how you're going to connect to fans and how you're getting 
to these goals. And it's the, it's the offhandedness of things like that. That makes me crazy. Right. Right. right, Because it's not thoughtful around the whole process that's going into that. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's no shame to be a hobbyist. Totally. If you don't want to make money from your music because your music is your art, don't do it. Get a day job and do it on the side. Yeah. That is okay. And just enjoy it and love it it, and do your thing. But you're not selling out. And I think that's not, (laughs) I also think that's not true. Right. Right? I mean, he didn't want to go work as a barista. Right. So there's a reason that (laughs) he's on a label and doing the things and on tour, right? Because he wants to be able to do that and sustain a lifestyle. Totally. Of whatever level that is that he was interested in. Right. By bringing money in through his art. Absolutely. And, you know, they were on an independent label. That band has pretty much always been on an independent label. Yeah. And yeah. so indie labels are like the risk takers of the music industry. That we're the ones who just dump our money yep. behind bands without, you know, we don't have a million billion seller. Yeah. You know, we don't have pop hits driving, you know, the bottom line. Yep. And we can afford to get rid of money on small bands. Yeah. That's just not how no. we operate. It's like a labor of love for real. All labels are venture capitalists at any level. It's more risky for the small ones. Exactly. You know, so it really is like a laborer of love. They go into things that they think that brand-wise align with them and that they can help move forward or that they are just really passionate about because it is. It's just a different kind of venture capital investment. Mm-hmm. That's always what it's been. You sure. know, and it's just it's a volume game when you get into the majors, right? Absolutely. They get into a place where they they do have the million billion seller that offsets a whole bunch of stuff. Although I would argue that nowadays that's coming back around, but for a long time in there, I think what's half of what's wrong with the music industry is that the million billion sellers were taking care of an expensive infrastructure instead of taking care of other artists, right? Exactly. And that's how the label started, and yes. that's what indies still do right. is that they get that one bigger artist that really is then about being able to invest in more small artists. Exactly. Where I think the majors for a long time there it was really about investing in their executive staff and making right. sure that they all had cars to drive around, and, you know, <laughs> and not necessarily the, the artists could pay their mortgages. Right. You know, And, you know, I mean, every business has a different business model. Totally. And, you know, totally. I'm, I'm not saying anything is worse than anything else. Yeah. It's just different. And, you know, indies have yep. always been that way. We tend to be pretty small. Yep. You know, I say we. I wasn't in the no longer. <laughs> I have to get used to my new life. I know, I know. You have a new label. life. But, you'll, but you have that mentality and it's important because it's an important perspective to have on the industry for the artists and everybody that's in it too is to think about things that way. Right. was Vampire by Wimps. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Chelsea Cressman of AGD Entertainment. You know, we've been talking a lot about our perspective on on the industry, but what would you, like, what's your advice for bands when they get started? What would you tell them to really do 
like first off? The first thing that we do, like when we sit down with the band, we really do go through a goal exercise with them. And we really talk about long and short term. How do they see their career forming? Even if it's just that they're not good at articulating it, but they could tell us who they would like to emulate, like other artists that have careers that they admire. Because it gives us some starting points on where we should focus the energy for them, right? Because the artists have to invest in themselves and their own careers by putting the work in. Definitely. And there's so many things that are required nowadays because you can't just be talented, right? Like we were saying, you can't just put the music out. You also have to be a social media expert and you have to be a, you know, DSP. Oh my God. A grip and grin person. It's all the, exhausting. All these things. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and so I think some of it too is, is part of that goal exercise is figuring out what they're most comfortable and maybe most adept at mm -hmm. so that those are the things we have them focus focus on. And then we find ways that we sort of deal with the rest of it, right? Because most of them, if they're into social media, it's one thing, right? It's usually Instagram at this point. It's honing in on what that looks like, what that brand is. Give me one goal. If the goal is that you guys want to go on tour next fall and you want to be thinking about that, what do we need to be building up in the time between now and then? Like, let's, we have to always have an 18 month window in my head that we're looking at because the time goes so fast when mm. you get into it. Totally. And everything has to be pushed through that in some way, right? And your big goals too. I mean, I've used big goals against small artists before when they go off the rails, right? That you sort of say, oh, is that the thing that's going to get you to Madison Square Garden? Because I don't think so. Like, let's think about <laughs> that's what our goal is in five, six years. Let's like rein it in and let's think about our brand and how we talk to fans and how we react to things. And maybe it is. I mean, maybe that is you just go sideways and that's part of your charm or whatever. But so much of it is personal on the social media side is finding that balance of personal and how it fits into the brand. And I think sometimes you get really, really lucky that it's just a quote unquote brand for an artist is just so natural because it's who they are and they live it and breathe it every moment. I think those are the ones that you're really, really lucky if they also happen to be able to express that in social media. I think most of the time it's a challenge. So, you know, part of that goal setting exercise is where do you want to be in six months and, you know, in six years, whatever it is. But also, what are things that you like? I, I'm big on mood boards and things like that. I'm big on sort of like show me pictures because I find that most artists are better at doing that yeah. than articulating sometimes what the goals are. It's like, oh, I like this. Well, what is it about that? Is it the feel? Is it the color? Is it the font? Is it the, you know, try and get into the weeds with them on sort of that branding exercise to think about how we visualize an artist? Because so much of this that we're talking about is the visualization of your art, right? And if your art is music, that's not always a no-brainer for artists. And it's how do we visualize that through video content, social content, all of those pieces so that we can focus. And I think it can be overwhelming when you're like, great, so now I have to post three times a day and then I have to have six videos and I need to put a song out every four weeks and all these other bits of advice that you get in bits and pieces from every partner and every person in this industry has a different opinion. Let's focus on the thing that you're good at passionate about, interested in. Let's start with that. So hopefully there's a social piece to that in some capacity, because I do think the social, it all plays into each other, you know, and then the streaming. What is our timing and why? Are right. we, is it because we have a tour coming up? How do we support that? I think that the industry has gotten into this place of a lot of the timelines for artists are really backwards on developing acts. And so they're not really thinking about the strategy of why to put the music out. They finish the music and they want the music out. Right. And then what? It's always the then, what, then what, right? Yeah. Whether it's bad or good news, it's yep. the then what. Right. And so that's why I'm always a stickler about 18 months. Like, right. Let's really be thinking about that. If this goes well, then A. If this goes poorly, then B. And let's right. like be thinking about that all the time and adjusting the plan. And that gets overwhelming. That's why you need a team. That's why right. you can't just go out into the world. I mean, you can, but... You won't be as successful going out into the world and just throwing music out there. And then what? And then what? Exactly. 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 <laughs> it's and all those pieces. So in my experience, you know, you rarely get, I mean, every now and then you get an artist who comes along who's got a super strong vision that also has, yes. and they also have like a visual aesthetic and they know exactly and so how they present. when that happens. Yeah, they yeah. want to present themselves yeah. in the world and you're just like, oh, thank God. Yeah. But most people don't. Right. And so how, when you're talking to an artist that you're newly working with, how do you like get them to understand that the story is important? I think what resonates for a lot of developing acts is what are the things that your fans engage with the most when you do post it? 
right? Because there's something to that. It means that the fans are connecting to a story or a vision or something. What is the consistent element in these things where fans are connecting? What can we draw from that, right? We find that every time you post about food, that does better than when you post about these other things or whatever it is. And how can we double down on that and make sure that it's still connecting to what's important to you? But there's a reason that those are working better. So right. I think that's an important part of it. I also think that when you push an artist to go through a branding exercise of some kind, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy, you don't have to go out and spend money on one of these like companies, but really sit down, it makes them think about it in a way that they just haven't before. Yeah. And what you usually find is when they can show you who their favorite artists are and what they want to emulate in those careers, there's something there that can give you insight into this band, whether it's because that's an artist that really has it together and the vision is just so on point with the music, with everything that they say, that then it's like, okay, great. Here's what you liked about this band. How do we do that for you? What's your element of the story that is similar to that? That. What makes you different, right? I right. mean, that's what all music is about, is right. what makes you different from everyone else and how do we tell that story? And I don't think it's easy and I think it's a lot of trial and error and I really think you're going to put stuff out there that you think is amazing that's not going to resonate right. and you have to be prepared to deal with that and sort of move on and pivot and find the things that are connecting. Okay, because you're my smart friend, I'm going to uh -oh. ask okay. you the philosophical question of the day. How do we combat this stereotype, this trope in American culture of the overnight success. Like you like oh. Lana Turner in the Yeah. In the Lana Turner, the eight year overnight success. The eight year yeah. overnight. Exactly. Yeah. Because someone walked into Shraft's deli and she was sitting there and right. they were like, I'm gonna make you a right. star, little girl. And then so we have this narrative already in American yep. culture, but then we're stuck with YouTube. Yep. You know, my nine-year-old son believes that all you do is put a video on YouTube and then you have a million followers and then yep. you're famous. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, oh my God, it, that's exactly the problem. People yeah. really believe that. They don't see between here and here. They don't see the black box of work. Yes. The years of work and the trial and error and the figuring it out and yeah. the times you went down a blind alley. Like, what do we do in this industry to combat that narrative? I mean, that's a really good and hard question because we live in this age of immediacy that there is this instant gratification, right? That's why your nine-year-old son believes that right. because the first time he has seen this piece of content, that's clearly the first thing that's been put out and mm -hmm. it's connected and it's a big deal. And yet you're right, doesn't see that there were also like 40 before that that didn't do as well. I don't know how we combat it in a public way. I think the only way to combat it is when you get into it and start seeing that. I mean, I know kids that want to be YouTube stars, and they do believe that. And it, it, it concerns me, though, too, from a social level, that there's a work ethic problem around mm -hmm. that kind of yes. mentality. Mm -hmm. And there's also, I always get worried about young kids and their mental health state, too, if they do put something up that they think is funny or magic or whatever, and, and it doesn't connect doesn't in that connect, way, yeah. that somehow they've done something wrong, right? Because right. the culture of social media is you only post the good things and the pretty things and the great things. You right. don't post when you're having like a crappy day and you don't feel well and whatever. I don't know. I mean, it, I think it's really hard. I hope that what happens is that because of the level of just transparency that we have, that there are artists and YouTubers and things, and I do think it's growing, where they're, they're also talking about the hard things and they're also showing the hard work, or that we have an opportunity to go back and look at the 90 that were posted before the one that right. hit and right. like think about things that way. But I don't know how we combat it because everything is immediate. I mean, we, we see it as deeply as the as our elections. Everybody reacts. That's how they get their news. Right. They get right. their news in like, you know, 140 characters and <laughs> they don't they don't think to go any deeper and research that. And right. I don't know. I mean, it's parenting, Portia. You have to fix that oh, for God, your son. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually, <laughs> it's really, it's really hard. I don't know how we do it because it's also what we combat on the marketing side when we have somebody that's got a really compelling story to tell, but we know that it's a story that has to be told in chapters over time. We don't live in a culture in the music industry anymore where we have time. Right. You know, I mean, the, yeah. they always, there's a million different examples, but it's like the Bruce Springsteen's and the whatever and Dylan and all that. They would not have careers today, right? right? Because they all took like 14 singles before anything connected. Exactly. Three albums, those kinds of things. That just doesn't exist anymore. You've got one shot at a 
playlist on Spotify. And if that doesn't connect, like that's it. Right. And the labels are moving on to the next, especially in major label culture, because everything is about consumption, because that's where they have their stake and investment. They don't right. have it in all the other pieces for the most part. It depends on the deal, obviously. But I don't know how we combat that other than having artists and team talk about their story and how much work really does go behind the overnight sensation because they're not overnight they're, they're not just overnight. they're not no yeah, exactly i've been thinking lately of having no classes like classes where artists come and you just say no to everything like everything yeah. that they want you're just like nope 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 yeah. so they can feel that and then go away and then come back i mean i think about actors you yeah. know how people also think it's the same with acting yeah. they think yeah. oh that person's on the Vampire Diaries. Therefore, they were always, right. you know, two seconds ago, they were just in acting class or on the sidewalk. And now they're, you know, on this fabulous show that I love. Yep. I don't love the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> I, just, I lo do love the originals, though. I will cop to but that. But we, we also, I think, you know, as the guard changes in the music industry, and those of us that have been doing this for a minute and are a little wiser, you know, I think some of this burden is on us, too, and how we train staffs and teams. Because really? I worry about not just the artists and not just your nine-year-old son's sort of version of how quickly that happens, but also the teams around them. Totally. Who sort of like are in this space of particularly the youngest end of the millennials that are just coming into the industry, if they have some of that mentality too, how do they tell a long-term story? How do they right. help build the careers of the artists when they don't see it that way? Right. You know, I think in their world, they're seeing like 23-year-olds that are millionaires that have had something click and it's worked and now they're going to travel for the rest of their lives. And, you know, there's this sort of like failure culture that I don't know. We just got kicked in the ass a whole bunch and like we had to just deal with it. <laughs> right. And it's sort of like, I don't know that they know that that's going to happen yet, but it's going to. Right. I mean, I, I can only hope that we're all sort of on the same page as adults and, you know, people realize I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah. I'm not in it for, but, you know, it, it maybe, and also maybe it weeds out some of the least strong, it you might. know. It might. I mean, I think everybody wants to start their own company now and do their own thing and, yeah. and not necessarily like be part of the old guard, which I totally appreciate and love, yeah. except that we're in an industry where it's very weirdly you have to still understand the old guard. Absolutely. I mean, I dealt with this all the time with technology companies that would want to work with artists or labels is that they would come in and everything's broken in the music industry and we're going to fix it with this amazing technology. And I would sit there and I would think, cool, totally get it. And you're not even wrong. However, this is how the industry works. And right. if you go charging into, you know, some senior executive's office with that mentality, you're going to be done and you're going to get lawyered out of business real fast. So you have to have a respect for it. Yeah, still. We just had this whole conversation about blockchain where it's yes. like, blockchain, it's great. Blockchain is a cool <laughs> technology. But if you don't, if you spell your name wrong, yeah. Or if you change your address and you fail yep. to update it. That's it. It doesn't yeah. matter how great the technology is. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's still about people. It's still about people. people. Are At the end of the day, it's still about people. Yes, the music industry. Oh my gosh. Well, we haven't solved any problems. But I know, we I'm sorry. Some I'm, stuff trying, up. I'm gonna think about this, but no, this is I all like good. I like the class of no though. I think that's actually really important because it might be helpful. I do think that one of the things I worry about too with the young people kind of coming into it and this mentality of I only show the things that are positive is I think it creates this like yes culture around artists that is really, really dangerous dangerous in a lot of ways. Right. Partially in the you can't be successful if people aren't being honest with you way and you've got to have thick skin to do this industry. But also I think about, I don't know why this is the one that that resonated with me, but I got so angry when Scott Weiland passed away. And everybody in social media that was posting about it, it was very much this idea of, oh, well, you could see that coming. And it made me mad because I thought, you know, that burden also lies on the industry of saying no, not letting him get in front of audiences, not letting him do X, Y, and Z and like being part of that and not just standing around and saying yes to what an artist wants when it's not good for them, right? Exactly. I mean, it's an extreme example, but I feel like we have to be honest and I don't know how much honesty there is in that. Like we have to, we have to work on young executives coming in and really having that culture of no. So I love that idea because there. I think we all need to know that that's what this is. I'm guessing you are the same as me. That probably the best lessons I ever learned probably sent me crying into a room somewhere because somebody just like <laughs> crapped all over an idea I had or said no or was mean or whatever. But you come out of that and you're like, oh, crap. Okay, this is how I have to think about this I now. Need, I need to find a better solution. Yes, Right? Yes. That wasn't the solution. So yeah, what's a better just solution? Like, oh, yeah. no, that's not how it goes. And we're just going to, you know, you're still right. You're the most brilliant thing that's ever had. And, and artists think that way, too. I mean, nobody goes into a studio 
pours days and hours and weeks into creating something that they think is awful and has right. one song on it, right? right? Like they pour <laughs> themselves into this thing, but we have to be, you still have to be honest and kind. I think you can still be kind, yeah. but we do have to be honest or, or we get into these extreme cases where we have like really catastrophic effects of not being honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I could talk to you all day, Cameo Carlson, <laughs> but sorry. we're going to cut I like it here. So. Okay, okay. So Cameo Carlson from M3, thank you so much for being with thank me you, on the Portia. future. Of and that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Cindy Wilson, Filthy Friends, Wimps, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at thefutureofwhatshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Clark Buckner at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next week.